With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Peace and blessings. I'm Brother Priest. And I wanted to speak with you about the motivation and starting Sovereignty Club Investment Group. I stated as Brother Lynn and I were doing the discussion how when I was younger, some 20 to 25 years or more ago, I liked to frequent these real estate seminars these free real estate seminars and and what have you. And eventually, I got into real estate investing beginning in the early 2000s. I studied from 99 to about 2003, on and off. The first year was on and off. Then beginning in 2003, I had gathered all the things that I had learned from 99 to 2003, and I dedicated a full year of my life, day in and day out, to comprehending real estate and how to become an investor, and I began my investment, had security interest in uh, 14 properties, and two properties I had that were actually uh, exchanged for primary homes. But nonetheless, what I saw was going to these real estate seminars, joining real estate associations or real estate clubs, local clubs, I saw a consistent upsell And I just asked myself a question one day. Here's a real estate association that you paid to get in. Then once you pay to get in, I don't have a problem with them selling you other things that are going to be beneficial for you. But you pay to get in and then they hit you with the steady upsell from $100 to $1,000 to $30,000. So I said to myself, wait a minute, you're supposed to be the guru. You're supposed to be the millionaire success story, and you make all this money doing real estate. If you sincerely want to help me, how about this? How about You educate me hands-on, meaning you want to charge $30,000 for this education that I'm supposed to get from you 
from a weekend or however long it is. It wouldn't matter if it was six months. You have all this money. Why not educate me, front the money for me to do the deal, put me hands on during the deal, and while we're doing the deal, I'm able to make money, and you're able to make money. That made more sense to me when I just sat back and thought about it, but I did not see anyone doing it. And once at one of the uh, one of these events, I was sitting talking to a guy who had joined and, and actually a, a guy and his girlfriend, and they began to listen to me speak on these things. These were uh, Caucasian people, and they began to, to listen to me speak on these things and investing and the things they had done. And they actually said, you should be doing the same thing he's doing. I'm learning more from you sitting here just eating food than, I, than I'm doing from his classes. So I said, hmm, I didn't think about doing it at that time. But I thought that that was interesting. So I'm saying, why not? Here's a guru who's asking you to pay them why not if you have that amount of money to pay them just get cut straight to the chase let's get to doing the hands-on actual deals teaching me let me learn while we're doing the deals and either you fund it or the money that I'm putting up if, if, if I didn't have the money you fund it and take your $30,000 out of the deal. You find the deal for me and you take your fee out of the deal. And I looked around and I didn't see anyone doing that. Well, then I thought, okay, well, if these people have $30,000, to actually pay this said guru, why not just take that $30,000, again, do hands-on, you put it into the project yourself, and as I'm teaching you, you get the benefits out of it from the education, from the hands-on experience. You get coached all the way through, start to finish. You get lessons and everything that you need that will build your confidence up. Your funds are protected. They're in an escrow account. Now, why not do it like that? That way, you walk into something that's going to produce the success that you're looking for. You're getting on the hands-on experience, and it's a win-win situation. So that was the motivation for starting this Sovereignty Club. Now, additionally, I had been around a number of people. I'm from Detroit. And this whole sovereign citizen thing hitting Michigan in general like a wildfire. And it's been going on before the 2000s. 
It's been going on before uh, the year 2000. It's been going on since I can remember when I was younger. It was going on in the 80s. I didn't get any real experience or up close and personal um, experience with it until probably around 93, 94, which is when I was being introduced to matters of law and matters of commerce. And a lot of people that were outside of the camp that I was in were, they weren't even using these terms sovereignty like they are today, but they were talking about being free and all of these different things. So when I saw the mortgage fiasco uh, occur, people losing their homes, and I saw these said sovereign citizens claiming to be able to save your house, and I saw these people, I know personally a woman who paid a woman Another woman whose name I'm not going to say, but she's from Southfield, Michigan, or Detroit, Michigan. She's moved all over the country. She personally told this woman that she, if she paid her $30,000 to save her house, that she would take it to federal court and win a million dollars for her. And I saw people losing their houses. I saw all these different things. And I just examined it and said, you know, this is just not right. There has to be something or someone that can stand up and speak to the truths of these matters while bypassing all of the folklore and the myths that are surrounded in that movement. And when you deal with law and when you deal with commerce and when you deal with real estate, you're dealing with reality. And you can see how these things that are going on in these mythological movements well, they're real movements, but they're mythological teachings. They're inventing this and that every day. When you really get a chance to see that law, commerce are real, how status applies to persons, and you see it through the eyes of the real uh, legalities, contracts, negotiable instruments, then your comprehension is there, your ability to execute it is there, and you can perform these things and you won't have all these hassles that you have been going through claiming to be this or that, which you are not. And look, there's a number of our people who want to secure their assets, to protect their property, to uh, be removed from taxation and other debt obligations that put a strain on their life and free up some funds, right? Some of you are financially free. Some of you are financially stable. 
you know, I'm speaking to you because I know that even in your financial security, that there's always a risk of you losing property, losing funds or what have you due to taxation, due to government interference or what have you. So it's pertinent that you of all people be competent in actual real matters of law and things that you can do and execute for asset protection, property protection, so that things cannot be removed from you just at the whim of some corrupt politician or some miscalculation or misappropriation of governmental affairs such as that which happened with the mortgage foreclosure fiasco. Now, I state all the time, and I have been stating this for a number of years, how the said minorities of Negroes and Latinos specifically were targeted by high-risk loans in a deregulated um, cycle in mortgage banking and loan procedures. Because there was a time where there were the, the, the banks were regulated and they went into a status of deregulation to where they were unregulated. And as soon as they did that, it seemed like there was a free-for-all and targeting uh, the disenfranchised among us and targeting, and targeting the poor communities with the lower credit scores and bad credit histories. And it was an all-out assault. And so many bankers and title insurance companies and insurance companies, they were living on the fat hog, eating off the fat hog, and taking advantage of the common people. Now, I'm stating that in the beginning, it was just targeted towards said minorities. But as it went on, you begin to see how all the people, particularly in North America, no matter what racial background they were, were being affected. So what started off as just a target group, this is kind of like anything else. You know how they delivered the drugs into the, the black communities and then the drugs became an epidemic in the black communities and then became a pandemic in the suburban communities and in, in, in the white communities and so on and so forth. So it's the same thing that happened with mortgage uh, loans. And there was a lot of mortgage fraud being done by brokers who knew that these individuals, that they were signing up for mortgages were not qualified. 
But in their defense, they I can see this in retrospect. They probably figured, well, hey, the payments are low enough. They should be able to handle it. They're just having a problem and getting qualified, so we'll help them out. Now, there is, there was uh, some years ago a big thing on a stated income, meaning that you can state what your income was and that your statement was taken as a fact. So let's say you had no job. You could walk into a broker and do a stated income loan and tell them that you made $150,000 a year. Now, they're going to try to gather some evidence from you. I'm not saying that they would um, just totally conduce, uh, induce a fraud, but they're going to gather some evidence from you to try to support where this money would come from. And here's the thing. You know that the higher your credit score is, the lower your interest rate is. Well, they would get you into a loan that would be affordable, okay? Even though many of the people were not even employed. But if you have a low loan, if it's $500, if it's $600 a month, and you have some type of um, pension or if you have some type of welfare benefits or, or even medical retirements or what have you, they would try to get you fit for those type of loans. And there were other loans, too. There were high-risk loans. There were adjustable rate mortgages. There were various different types of high-risk loans. But the problem was the banking industry began to go to the insurance agents claiming that these high-risk loans that would normally be a grade C or below because, well, let me explain it this way. Nations, countries, governments deal with letter grading systems, whereas persons and people deal with number grading systems and credit when it comes to credit. Corporations, companies, they deal with letters. People, persons deal with the numbers. So if you have a 580 credit score, 585 credit score, a company or corporation would get a letter grade. They might have a triple C minus. Okay, well, if you have these brokers or if you have these lenders that are inducing people with low credit scores that are high credit risk and then they're being sold by companies, corporations, to title companies or even others that are going to invest in pools of mortgages as having a triple A credit score, which would be 
in numbers that would be like anything under 800. Okay, the H50 would be the best. So you know someone with an 850 credit score, that's one of the highest credit scores you can have, right, or at least in the common world. So like in that, the highest credit score, you, score excuse me, that you can have onto a triple A credit score. And a company is selling a high-risk loan to title insurance and insurance companies as being a low-risk loan, as though these people had high credit scores, well, then you could see the residual effect of when these um, credit, these uh, extended lines of credit and mortgages went into default, that it would cause a ripple effect where then it would trigger um, insurance companies, and insurance companies would have to release funds. People losing money in companies and corporations. People getting sued. Corporations getting sued. Companies being sued after they're realizing that they were sold lump composites and pools of bad high-risk loans, and they these high-risk loans were put into credit defaults, credit default pools, to explain it in a more simpler language, meaning there were a bunch of loans that were high-risk all in one bench, and they would be traded as though these were low-risk loans. If you comprehend this, here's what you have to think. The housing and mortgage industry, and I'm being clear in what I'm saying, you view it as just real estate. I'm saying housing is a part of real estate, but I'm specifically talking about housing and mortgages. As one of the things, one of the primary things that actually runs the economy of the United States of America. So if they, well, let me give you a simple way to look at it. They're going to inflate the actual value of a property, which it's fine, but they're going to inflate the value. Let's say it's actually valued at $10,000. But you're going to times that times 10, so it's going to be on the market for $100,000. So if you can see what I'm saying, if they're getting a debt obligation on you as an individual to pay back hundred thousand dollars is something that's actually valued at ten thousand dollars and they're making a ninety thousand dollar profit therefore they can go to their creditors i'm talking about the government and borrow against your mortgage loan in order to have the funds to run the government 
for an entire fiscal year, meaning one taxable year. Hopefully that makes sense to you. Now, you're not paying back the $90,000, of course, in one year. But what you're paying, excuse me, you're not paying back the $100,000, of course, in a year. But what you're paying on it allows them to pledge that towards their deficit, excuse me, towards the budgeting running their government so that if they borrow something from China, they know that they have a, a, a house that's going to be pledged to pay that deficit. And that's kind of a microcosmic manner in looking at it. But my point is, if all of these people are pledged as low-risk loans with good credit, but in reality, they're high-risk loans with bad credit, and particularly if they had an adjustable rate mortgage, which would mean at some point that that monthly payment would balloon or would blow up to something that could possibly be unaffordable if they walked into it paying a thousand dollars, and then after a couple of years, all of a sudden now their payment is thirty three hundred dollars a month. It, they were barely making it on a thousand dollars a month. So if you can see what I'm saying here. That is supporting the running of the American government, the funds from that house. And if there's any risk there and they all start to go into default, then that's going to lower the credit score of the entire country because then the country is going to start to fail to pay back its debt to its creditors, it won't have enough money to fund the running of the government, and it all came to a head during 2014 in the Barack Obama administration. I have to believe that the people that were the top economists Top people that worked in the government knew that it was going to happen, and they knew what was going on as far as budgeting during the George W. Bush years because those were war years specifically. Barack Obama's regime was was war years as well, but the wars started with George W. Bush. And whenever there's war, there is a more vast amount of debt on any country. So they had to know that at some point a deregulated banking system, banking and loan, on top of war times would in fact produce a bubble or an inflation of a bubble that would burst. It's like blowing up a, a balloon 
inflating it to such a degree by flooding more debt and more debt and more debt being circulated via debt notes, Federal Reserve notes, they had to know that at some point this balloon is going to bust. Maybe not the average common everyday um, government official, not necessarily your legislators, not your your governors, your state representatives, your mayors. I'm not saying that. I'm not even saying necessarily the presidents understood that. But there are um, economists, there are financial specialists that had to know that this was on the horizon. So in doing that, once you arrive at comprehending why it is important for you, those of you who have uh, the means financially to do things, particularly in investments, why it is of vast importance that you have asset protection. Because, you know, there have been times where they have frozen bank accounts, bank account, excuse me, they froze Qaddafi's bank accounts. Well, that's a whole other issue, but you have to think about this they froze Gaddafi's bank account. And it put him in a dire strait, of course, but this could happen to you, so you have to be prepared for that not to happen. Now, not to happen to you. Now, the other thing would be Federal Reserve notes can be utilized as acquisition notes where when you purchase things strictly off of credit in Federal Reserve notes, one Federal Reserve note is equivalent to a credit note. I'm describing it as a credit note. There's not anything that I consciously am aware of is called a credit note. But what I'm saying, if you have a line of credit in on the credit card, they extend you a say ten thousand dollar line of credit on the credit card. That means every dollar counted is like a credit note. It's equivalent to a Federal Reserve note, but it's just in credit. That's what I'm trying to explain. Well, it's there's a a means of acquiring property as opposed to solely just, quote-unquote, purchasing property. The word purchase comes from pure chase. And it's purely a chase because it's being utilized as a debt note. So no matter how much of it you have, there's still no security if you do not establish certain things in law and in commerce. And more so, you need to establish in, in, in acquiring resource commodities, such as real estate, land, those type of things, gold, silver, that actually hold value over a fluctuating economy anywhere on the earth. And then those things have to be commercially protected. So it's of vast importance 
that those of you who have the means to do such should really be working towards asset protection and um, more investment. But at any time, if the dollar, if the bottom just falls out of the Federal Reserve no dollar bill, and it's looking more like they're moving towards that, and with um, Donald Trump being president, and you know he's the king of bankruptcies, he may, in fact, try to issue another bankruptcy just to clean this whole economy up so it'll get worse before it gets better. But no matter what does, you as an individual who has some means financial security you ought to be concerned with the tax status that you're operating in, uh, where you're placing your funds and banks and how they're uh, being handled. At any time, any federal, federal emergency, they can freeze funds and do various things to you that can really Set your life on. But ultimately, no matter what happens to the Federal Reserve note, whether it starts to lose value or increase value, real tangible property that you need to have is a resource commodity. Valuable minerals and real estate and land. Minerals, valuable minerals, land, these things are going to hold their value and increase in value. And even if things like gold and silver fluctuate, gold and silver are actually resources that can be utilized for things other than just coinage. This is why they maintain value and have maintained value for greater than 6,000 years. Gold and silver have been lawful currency for greater than 6,000 years on this earth. But my point is that you always have to be prepared and you need to be able to have something that you can leave to your children's children's children. Do you have a will and testament? Do you have trust accounts or proper trust accounts? Do you have proper privacy over your affairs? A lot of times what can protect your property is just simple privacy. Dealing in the private sector as opposed to the public sector all of the time. And when I'm saying that, I'm saying... When you have property in your birth name, and that's how you're doing all your affairs, well, you're running a risk for government seizure over property and funds. So you have to learn how to recontract, and I'm not just saying to go and open up a, a LLC. I mean, that affords you some type of uh, protections, but understand even that, 
LLC can be liquidated for debt um, purposes. So you have to have alternative means. You have to know a little bit more about law and commerce and how to protect your assets that you can live in and leave an inheritance for your children's children's children. So again, as I was stating in the beginning, when I was looking at these real estate gurus and I was saying to myself, well, you have all these millions, why not just give me a hands-on opportunity and you take your funds out of the uh, the actual deals? Well, alternatively, well, what if people the people do have uh, the means, but they just don't have the education? It's like $30,000 might not mean anything to them to put up to one of these gurus so they can learn these things. But it just made more sense to me that instead of charging someone $30,000, how about we bring these people in, bring them into a, a club, investment group, and if they have that amount of money that they can invest, we can uh, work towards finding the deals and they can place their money in finding their deal and learning bits and pieces about how to find deals and get deals completed as we're going along, which, which is, to me, a much more feasible manner of you learning it and of you getting to your goal some added financial security in a much more expedient means. And it is not that difficult. So in this sense, we're innovating with Sovereignty Club an approach to crowdfunding because the thing is you do want to have an investment group of those who have things to contribute, who have the means to contribute and pull resources and pull their monies to get deals done. That makes sense, right? But what you also do is use that same mechanism for collective economics and crowdfunding to teach hands-on how the individual can produce the same outcome times 10, times 100, times 1,000 even of securing the property, doing whatever they're going to do with it, rehabbing it or whatever. Because, you know, some things can be rehabbed and flipped. Some things can be rehab and held. Some properties don't need any work and you just walk into them and place renters or buyers in them. And so what I'm trying to get to here is, look, you have the means. You want a proper education, but you don't want to go out and acquire a bunch of property that ultimately is at risk for seizure from a government 
that you can't always count on them to make the right choices that are going to be best for the common people. And I know after all of the damage that I've seen with this mortgage foreclosure crisis, that you have to really start thinking about whether or not in the real crucial times that matter, can you really count on these government government officials to have your individual best interest at heart? And I'm not saying that they're necessarily bad people, but you got to really think about this. Now, personally, I have my opinions of who and what they are. I'm not going to give that. I'm asking you to think. The banking industry being deregulated at the time, them targeting minorities or said minorities, people knowing what will be the outcome, taking homes from these people, making them homeless, putting it into manic depression, putting people into a psychological evaluation in psych wards, broken homes, broken relationships, divorces, heart attacks, strokes, high blood pressure from worry, all from dealing with these mortgages, the amount of stress that it put on the people, and then the government unfortunately, under the Barack Obama regime, bails out the car companies and the banks. In Barack Barack Obama's defense, he did have a program that he was working on that he did put into place to help the housing uh, situation. But the masses of the people did not benefit from it. And the, the SEC... And the FTC did go after the banking industry. They filed class action suits and all of that. And a lot of them, a lot of them did win cases, but then the people would get uh, back like $50, $100, $2,000. And what is that in comparison to what you lost? So my point of this is you had to be thinking about Would you really put that type of trust in these people again? Now, you may not have been affected during that time, but I know too many people around me, and I felt too much of the pain myself. I know what it was like. And in some ways, it's still going on, but it is significantly lessened. But there's a lot of aftermath going on pertaining to that that started really around 2007. That's when it started to rear its ugly head. So protecting your assets is a priority. Proper investments are a priority. And what you really want to be thinking about, as I stated, is resource commodities, um, various minerals, gold and silvers, diamonds, uh, those type of things for investments, but gold and silver primarily, land and, and housing. 
Those are the things you want to be thinking about. Those are the things that we are doing with Sovereignty Club Investment Group. And those are the things we are helping to educate the people on as well. <coughs> but just from a humanitarian perspective, you and I both know that there are a lot of our, our own friends and relatives and people in our communities that are underprivileged, that have broken homes. You see the inner cities. I'm from Detroit. Detroit was ravished by the mortgage foreclosure fiasco. And we've seen countless number of people hurt from this. So I'm saying that with Sovereignty Club Investment Group, we conduct private trading, private banking, investing, yes, but we can help and give back and help put our people through private banking, through money pools. We can money broker our own deals and control housing ourselves with asset protection, with privacy, and with the funds being generated by our own people. We have enough people that have means, security financially, and have open and big hearts that we can do this. And we're already doing it. We have a couple of people that are involved that they're successful, financially successful, and they have the means to do so. So we're already doing it, but the opportunity that we're opening up for those others who are qualified to participate in this is a, is a, a grand one because there are so many opportunities for us to do good things for ourselves and for our people. But look, you know the old saying, you can't help others if you can't help yourself. Okay, you have something to invest. You've been wanting to learn real estate. You've been wanting to learn asset protection. We'll go find the properties, coach you through it, make sure that everything is safe. And then you get to actually see these things work. It's a big difference when you have a team putting in the effort and crowdfunding deals and pulling resources and creating your own money pool and brokering deals. For instance, we are doing private loans, private banking loans. So you heard uh, Brother Lynn speak about how he issued a private loan. And we control the terms and conditions. And, of course, we're not going to deal with people that are high risk to the point where there's no, um, you know, return. Because the whole point of 
investing is to produce a return, but when you can invest with your own people that are trustworthy. Some people need help. Some people need guidance. Some people need education. Uh, And I'm not talking about those whose personalities are high risk. I'm talking about those who just might not have had the means or the education to reach certain things. We can do money brokering for them, issuing private loans. We can do the private banking. As a matter of fact, one of the best return rates that you can have is through private lending. Because you know you might deal with some things that might give you a 1% or 2% or 3% return, which is not bad. You get to a 5% return, you're talking that's, that's normally good. 5%, 6% return, that's good. If you're getting any way up to 10% return, that is fantastic. That is great. Well, what if you have more than a 10% return? What if you have a 20% return or a 25% return? Which is and is being done and can be done in private lending. You heard the, the thing that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Well, one of the ways is it takes money to make money. You've heard that. Okay, well, one of the ways is when you have enough money set aside and you can open up that money to be lended at a percentage in return, that's one of the ways that you can, it takes money to make money. And it doesn't put you at financial risk because you're not going to put, you know, your everyday living expenses based on a return, you know how to do that. But it, it at the same time produces a return that is good for you. And I'll tell you how I first came across this. This might have been hmm, maybe 2004. I had a partner. And we were getting into the uh, real estate business. He had large sums of money. um, And he was a house doctor. So I knew how to broker the deals. And I knew how to set up the investment strategies. And that's what I was good at. Well, we went to a broker who dealt with private money. And as I'm speaking to him about private money, private loans, for us to structure some of our deals, he turns and asks us, well, you have this amount of money that you're putting into these projects. Why don't you do some private lending? He, he, He sits right there and pitches us. I'll represent you. I'll broker the deals. I'll give you, I'll make sure you get a 23% return in, in 12 to 15 months, those types of things. So that's how I first learned about it, and that's how that, that was our uh, first initiation into it. And I'm saying you can do shorter-term deals. Sometimes they do three-month or six-month 
returns on that. So if you have those types of uh, opportunities in front of you and you can see where it makes sense to make the decision, you're always going to consult your attorneys. You're always going to consult your uh, uh, accountant. But you just need a means and an outlet to bring in the property, to bring in the investment opportunity. So you have something in front of you that you can analyze and you need a, a, like we all do, we need a working team that is going to be consistently bringing in the deals, the opportunities. Other point I want to make in how this first tier of education by hands-on approach can work for you is like, look, If you are participating collectively and bringing in the investment opportunity, you're also this is your first stage of your education and development. It's hands-on. So your first experience is how you could collectively do it what you're actually in turn learning is how you can individually do it. And I'm saying we have a formula that is really simple of how you uh, discover, find, bring in uh, the investment opportunities, how they're placed before you. You do the mathematical analysis of it. And once you can do the mathematical numbers and see what it can produce collectively, you divide the opportunities amongst those participants and the crowdfunding or the money pool. Now, you just learned as an individual from participating in a lower risk opportunity through collective economics and crowdfunding so that when you do do it for yourself, you're going to follow the same formula. But you already have the experience. You already have the teamwork. You already have those that have your back, the coaching. So it makes the learning that more comfortable, it makes the application of what you're learning that much more expedient because you're doing it hands-on. So for me, in my background, I've gone out and gotten properties, flip properties, what have you, right? I know the formula of how to draw them in how to solicit the properties. Now, all you'd have to do is review the mathematics, learning the um, opportunity for this deal to work for you, and move forward with that, and you're learning, and you're placing your hands right in the situation at the same time. 
So when you work as a collective, it lessens the amount of time, money, and energy that you as an individual have to put out in your initial beginning. And you're not just putting your funds towards a guru. You're putting your funds towards you participating in something that can produce a return that you can feasibly see. So with all that being said, I'm saying to you that this was the motivation for founding this investment group. I hope that you will continue to listen in and come in and join us. We would love to have you. Thank you for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.